Well, hello, and I want to welcome you to the Victory Church Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Horton. I'm here to bring you a short message that's designed to help you become all that God created you to be and to live your life to the fullest. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get into today's message. Well, I hope your week is going well and uh, God is blessing and uh, so glad to be back with you. Uh, and uh, we're just going to get right into it today. I've been talking uh, this week and, and the past several weeks about the importance of conscience in a lawless age, and um, this is really no time, is it, to have a weak conscience. So uh, there are 10 points I'm covering about the importance of conscience, and I'm going to get right into it. Uh, we live in a conscienceless age. That's the first point. Uh, second point, we just simply define conscience, the inner sense of what is right, or wrong in one's conduct or motives. And then uh, I, I really stopped last time. Conscience is the voice of the human spirit speaking to us. And saw in my last podcast, uh, if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen, to uh, really define the different kinds of voices we sense within us and, um, and, and how to differentiate the voice of conscience and how to make the voice of conscience stronger. Today, I want to focus on uh, point four in 10 things about the conscience we need to know. Is Number four is the conscience, again, must be trained. Now, I've mentioned this previously, but I want to go into under the weeds a little bit more. You know, um, all of us understand conscience and, and you know, what it feels like and, and what we sense in our conscience. You know, we can have a conscience that's uh, too permissive, and you've perhaps... Uh, been that way yourself or seen another person whose conscience will allow them to do things that God just says, hey, you shouldn't do that as a believer. And see, what is that symptomatic of? That's a person that just simply doesn't know the Word. And let me say there's a real drought in a lot of ways of the Word of God today. And that's why I have such a conviction in myself as a pastor, really, to preach the Word and to preach it in a way people understand it, and to teach it in a way that people can grasp simple principles that can change their day-to-day life. Again, a punch on the other end of the spectrum, so you can have a conscience that's too permissive. Now, on the other hand, you can have a conscience that's too religious, and that is you hardly allow yourself to breathe without thinking you did something wrong. That's equally as almost equally as bad. Here's what I think. I want a conscience that is strong, and a conscience that is balanced by grace. See, that's a conscience that'll work for you in in day-to-day life. You know, all of us, Jesus is placed in us by virtue of of the new birth of the Holy Spirit. And we all know the Holy Spirit places in us a desire to obey God. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new. And so, you know, we want to give vent to that, and the way you, the way you develop that is by developing the conscience by getting in the Word, and and at the same time we understand that we're uh, spiritual beings in physical bodies, and that our bodies are still um, our bodies, our minds, our emotions, even our our power of choice, our volition, still have uh, have are, are tainted by uh, the nature of the flesh, the nature of sin. And uh, the residue is there, and so it's easy for us to uh, fall back into or be trapped by things that we have allowed in our lives and our past. I've talked about that plenty. So that's, that's the reason. We need, to, we need to balance a conscience and a strong conscience with the grace of God. 
When you mess up, I say it all the time, when you mess up, fess up. Be honest with God about yourself, your, your, your proclivities, your weaknesses, the things that you can easily fall prey to in life uh, that you know are wrong. And you know what? God has a lot of mercy and grace, and He wants to help us in our time of need, right? So we also need to be aware when it comes to the conscience that people are watching us all the time. They're watching how we say what we say. They, uh, they are watching our responses. Uh, they are watching what we do and how we do it. They're watching what we value. And, you know, they're watching us all the time. So, and, and we, we just need to stay aware of how what we allow ourselves to be and do affects others. And the Bible has a good bit to say about that. And so in doing that, we need to keep a clear conscience. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 8. Um, Paul deals with an issue that uh, they dealt with in the first century there uh, in, in the Middle East where Paul lived. Um, the, the food was often uh, on for sale in the streets, and it had been sacrificed to the varying gods or idols that the people worshipped in the culture. And some people with a tender conscience didn't want to eat that food. Others, didn't. it didn't bother them at all. And we're talking about believers. Didn't bother them to all, at all to, to eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol because they recognized that the on, there is only one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and that these other things that people call gods are, are really not gods at all. And so... You know, uh, he challenged the liberty of those who felt free to do anything they wanted to do at the expense of another person. And see, that plays into today's culture. Today's, today's culture is I, me, my, and mine. Do what you want to do regardless of what other people think or say about it. Be yourself, yada, yada. But you know what? That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen, I want to read two passages if we have, hopefully we have the time today. 1 Corinthians 8 and then Romans 14. Both of these chapters deal with conscience and conscience towards how what we allow ourselves to be and do uh, at the expense of another person. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 8. This is New Living Translation. Beginning with verse 1, it says, Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much, he says. But a person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what, what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? So he gets right into it. This was an issue they were dealing with in their day. And he says, well, we all know that I, um, an idol is really not a god and that there is only one God. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's that, and when, he, when he just said that, uh, when you recognize there's only one God, see, that's, that's a really, that, that's, that's a person who is well-seasoned spiritually, and that's a person who won't let anything in this life bother them because they're so secure in their relationship with the Lord. The issue with this is that if that's all I think about is how secure I am and to, at the expense of the people around me, friends, that's wrong. And he goes into the next verse and says that. Verse 7, Paul says, however, not all believers know this, that there is only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and he goes on to say, some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real so that when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat and we don't gain anything if we do. Verse 9, he says, but you must be careful, watch this, so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if we see, uh, for if others you see with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, uh, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience if they see you eating uh, um, in the temple of an idol? Won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your uh, superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sin sinning against Christ. Wow. So he goes on to say, and he ends this by saying, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. So again, you know, we have liberty as believers to live our life according to our conscience. And what Paul's stating here is that I need to be careful as to how my, what my liberty does to, a, to another person. So let me look at a couple of things here. As, as I share this and probably end with reading Romans 14 because it just bears the point home so well. You know, when I was a younger person, uh, particularly, so let me just say, Susan, I've been married this year, what is it, 44 years. So, so when we were younger and particularly in Susan's family and the denomination, uh, denominational church that uh, Susan and her mom and her brother attended and her dad uh, they, that denomination, listen, had a really strict conscience about working on Sunday. You do not work on Sunday because some Sunday was one of the Ten Commandments. You're supposed to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So they were really, really, really strong. I was really surprised when Susan and I started dating, and I got to know her family that uh, in the years prior to us getting together and dating and finally getting married, that, uh, wow, her mother would do all of the washing, all of the ironing, all of the buying groceries that had to be done on Saturday. Make sure she had it done by, by Saturday because you couldn't do anything like that on Sunday because it was restricted by their religious environment. Now, see, that to me is an overworked conscience. So I'm talking, Susan told me that they, that, that, you know, she saw times that her mom stayed up till late in the, in the, in the uh, hours of the, of the late, late evening, just before midnight. I mean, trying to get that last shirt ironed, getting whatever clothes needed to be ironed, ironed before Sunday hits, because you can't do that stuff on Sunday. See what I'm talking about? So, you know, I think that's a real overworked conscience. However, there are people who are still really strong about that, and then you could, you could, you could, you know, go to another element of extreme, and that is there are those who are religiously inclined to believe that uh, women should not wear makeup, jewelry, anything like that, and that, um, and that you know, uh, all the way to the point that kids in school. Um, my children attended a, a, a Christian school for a while when they were very, very young that would not allow the girls to wear anything but a dress, even when they're playing ball outside. 
uh, even when they're, you know, in the sports activities in school and such. And, uh, you know, uh, I understand where the folk were coming from. And now, see, we have the other extreme in our culture. People don't wear enough clothes or, or oh, Lord, help us, the clothing's too tight. So, you see, you got both extremes today. And so this is the religious extreme talking about clothing. So, again, Paul's idea is don't do anything whereby another person stumbles or is offended. So, you know, for us, the context, particularly when my kids were young or, or you know, you, you want to honor other people whether you agree with them or not. And see, that's what Jesus would do. I, you know, I don't have to espouse another person's belief system to honor them, nor do I need to do what they do necessarily to honor them. But I, what I don't need to do is kind of rub it in their face that I think they're wrong and I think I'm right. That's, that's the wrong attitude. That's not the attitude a believer should have. Another area um, that this uh, applies to so strongly today is the area of drinking for whatever reason. Uh, the younger generation now, whether you're in church or not, you know, just espouses the idea that anybody ought to be able to drink a a beer or any kind of hard liquor, as long as you do it in moderation, because drinking in and of itself is not a sin. So, um, and because of that, then there's a brand new liberty in, in a lot of circles just to drink alcoholic beverages. And heretofore in Christian circles, it just wasn't that way. Um, so let me give you my stance as I get into this. And uh, whether you may agree or disagree with me, that's fine. Uh, I do not drink any. I mean, any alcoholic beverages, and I do it for the sake of other people. Another reason I do it is because in my family background, there were alcoholics who cost my family members dearly, and I, I, I learned about it as a child. I understood it, and, uh, I, and so I never have been a person that drank alcoholic beverages, and that's one of the big, strong reasons I realized the damage alcohol can do to a family unit. I understand what it can do to an individual. And now I've lived long enough, I've put people in the grave. I have, I have buried people, done the services for people who wore their bodies out with drinking. That's, and, and they were young. And this is sad. So I don't drink any, again. Um, so so uh, do I have liberty? And does the Bible totally forbid drinking? Well, if you go through the uh, go through the whole consensus of Scripture about alcohol, alcoholic beverages. The Bible is really strong on us uh, maintaining self-control and and not drinking, not drinking to solve a problem or not uh, drinking to get away from our problems and not drinking as an answer to stress and and that kind of thing. It absolutely forbids that uh, and. Uh, but does the Bible completely forbid drinking? Well, not in, in such stark terms, but it does tell us to not be drunk with wine in the New Testament, wherein is excess, as Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be controlled by drink, be controlled by the Spirit. So another thing that I had to deal with in this issue with drinking is, how does if, if I did have a liberty, and, you know, um, the Bible may give liberty, but I don't take it. I, I, I refuse to because of what it does to other people. I'm a pastor. I'm a church leader. And I ask people on my staff not to drink. And I ask people that are on our stage at our church not to drink because, because some people have really a, a hard problem with drinking. And people who have been alcoholics, if they feel like they have liberty to drink because all their other Christian friends are now drinking, they can get back in bondage. And, you know, I had this experience in the 80s. Um, uh, 
a couple came to me. I was in a large church. I was doing personal ministry for the pastor. And, and um, you know, this couple came and sat down in front of me. How can I help you? You know, I saw them in church. They had a beautiful singing ministry, and they sang and, and that kind of thing. And had a ministry. They had already been to Bible school. Just a really beautiful couple, a young couple. And uh, they were married, had no children. And they came to me. He came to me, and he was really upset. And I said, God, what's going on? And he, he told me a story. He was an alcoholic. His wife was an alcoholic. They both got set free by Jesus and quit drinking. But one day, when they moved to Tulsa to go to Bible school, he said they were in a, re- a fairly nice restaurant, a white tabletop restaurant, nice restaurant, and, uh, you know, getting ready for their meal. And they looked across the room and saw an, an internationally noted uh, person, TV personality who was a believer, and uh, looked over there, and that person was drinking with their meal, drinking wine. And he, he said, he, this is exactly what he told me. He said, I nudged my wife, said, look at there. You know, we, we've been believers for a while now, and but look, uh, you know, these people have a liberty to drink. Look at this person, and he was a well-known TV personality in Christian circles. And uh, he said, well, so they noted it, ate their meal, and that's it. And then several, a period of time later, several weeks, whatever, they were in kind of an upscale grocery store um, and said they were walking through the aisles and they came across the wine aisle. And he told his wife, remember what we saw the other night at the restaurant? Said, uh, let's, get us a, let's get us a bottle of wine. And he said they picked up a bottle of wine. Like they had before they knew the Lord and took it home, had bought it, took it home, put it in the refrigerator, got it cold. And he said they didn't do anything with it for several weeks. And then one Saturday, Sunday night, he said, uh, he said, well, let's have a little bit of that wine. We have liberty. Remember what, who we saw at the restaurant a few weeks ago? And, and so they poured in themselves a little bit of wine, and, and that's all they had. And then they, you know, eventually finished the bottle over a period of time. And when he came to me that day, he said, Mitch, Here's what he said. And I'll never forget the tone of his voice nor his facial expression. He said, Mitch, when I get up now, I have to have a drink. Um, when I heard that, I can't tell you how bad it made me feel and how sorry I was that he saw that person who had liberty to drink, drink because it put him back in bondage. So you know what? The Bible says we're not to live to ourselves. We're to live unto the Lord and that we're not to do anything whereby another person is offended. And that's the way we should live. And so for that reason, for instance, with the issues of drinking, it's the reason I just don't. I'm a teetotaler, absolutely, because I care about who it may hurt or affect. I want to read at this point uh, with a little bit of time I have left here quickly, Romans 14, because it quantifies this and it really talks about uh, about um, our conscience and using our liberty to another's disadvantage. And that's what we really, really need to be aware of. Verse 1 of Romans 14, New Living Translation, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about uh, what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. See, so here, here's again the issue with meat offered to idols. In the first century, like I mentioned earlier, verse 3, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive 
approval, verse 5, in the same way. Some think one day is more holy than another day, and that's, of course, what I mentioned earlier when uh, you have those who won't do certain things on Sunday. Jesus has become our Sabbath rest. That's what I'll try to find out. Jesus has satisfied all of the demands of the law for us as believers. And, but at the same time, we need to be careful on how what we does, uh, what we allow in our lives affects another person. The same way some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Verse 6, those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord. See, what does he say? He says, he's saying they're obeying their conscience and where their conscience is. Since they have given thanks to God before eating and those who refuse to eat certain foods and want to please the Lord and give thanks to God for those who, uh, for we don't live, here it is, I just said it earlier, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. Verse 8, Romans uh, 14. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember as it, uh, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's saying, look, why do you judge what another person does? They have to live by their conscience, and they'll be judged by what they allow themselves to do or don't do. He says, why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Uh, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. I, am, I know and co am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat, but if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person it's wrong. So what does he say? You've got to live by your conscience. If you go against your conscience, you're doing wrong, and that's why we need to train our conscience so our conscience can be correct and trained well in the Word. Verse 15, if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. So strong. That's so good. Verse 16, then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you'll please God. And others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. See that? Verse 22, you may believe there's one nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you're not following your convictions or you could say your conscience. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. In fact, I think uh, King James says, to him that knows to do good and does it not to him it is sin. So again, wow. That's why we need to be really careful with, uh, with what we do and how we do it. We need to really train our conscience in the Word, but then just be aware that not everybody is where you are in God. 
and be aware that you may have liberty, but your liberty may produce bondage in someone else because they don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, and they don't have that same liberty. So you know what? If we live that way, live to, live to honor Jesus, live a, a, a selfless life and a God-honoring life, and then live a life so that others that are around us, uh, don't, we don't cause them to misunderstand and misconstrue the things of God and themselves get into bondage because of what we think we have freedom to allow. Lord, I pray today for me and all of us. Some of these subjects, they're so, uh, they're so particular perhaps, and there's so many variables here. And all of us, as I'm talking about this, maybe we're thinking about our conscience and what we allow and what other people allow and don't allow. Lord, I ask for your grace on all of us. To, uh, to grow spiritually, to develop ourselves in you, to develop ourselves in the Word of God, and, to, and really uh, develop a, a clean, free conscience that allows us to honor you. At the same time, Lord, help us to always be aware of how others view what we're doing and what we allow. May we not allow our liberty become someone else's bondage. Lord, thank you for ministering life to us in Jesus' name. Look forward to talking to you next time. Hope your day goes great. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Weekly Podcast. I hope you're able to get something out of the message today. Before you leave, please make sure uh, that you subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform that you're listening from. Doing this goes a long way in helping us reach a wider audience. Lastly, if you want to reach out with questions, concerns, prayer requests, or comments, about today's content, you can email me at pastor at victorychurchraleigh.com. I would love to hear from you. Now go out there and be all that God created you to be today. God bless you.